Once again to the Jazz Violin Podcast. This is episode two and today we're chatting with Chris Garrick. Um, Chris was one of my favourite jazz violinists um, and he happens to be uh, based in the UK. Actually, Edinburgh, which is where I grew up. Um, We chatted today uh, just outside of London, had a chat about a number of things, mainly music, uh, a little bit about practice, about a bit about his upbringing and how he got into playing and um, we also chatted a little bit about his cooking and just um, his outlook on life in general um, yeah okay hope you enjoy We were doing in tune. What are you talking about? We were, we were just on in tune. That show that's on everyday drive time. Okay. Talking about a new album that we've got with um, Jackie Gankworth and David Gordon. What ben, is that? Ben Davis. What What's going on with that? It's called Butterfly's Wing, and it's a collection of songs and poetry <coughs> set to music by David. Mm-hmm. With a quartet, fiddle, cello, piano, and voice. Oh wow! And it is very sort of unusual. Yeah. In its nature. And uh, I really like it. It's lovely. Very, very subtle. Um, very, very delicate. Right. Jackie's voice is the sort of at the centre of things. And we, it's Ben and I. You know Ben Davis? He set up that band, no. Basquet Strings, a few years ago. So, ben Davis, does he play cello? Yeah. Yeah. Mercury Prize nominated okay. thing a few years ago with Seb Rochford and people like that. All right. Is he that crew? He's an amazing improviser on the cello. Cool. But uh, we sort of pep around the edges of Jackie's voice and Dave just sort of gives us a beautiful piano carpet underneath. Right. Is the album out? It is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I shall let you have a copy if you'd like to have a listen. Yeah, I'd I've love got to. one here, yeah. That'd be great. So it, it's, just, it's a little different to yeah, well, the stuff I'm doing, anyway. But uh, Sort of like chamber jazz. Well, that's a sort of... You could call it that, you know, a nature of the lineup. There's no percussion. Right. And um, although I am caught sort of scraping the body of the fiddle now and again to get a little okay, bit of a yeah. bossa nova vibe. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So okay. I, I interject. No, no, I mean, that's a You're just good about start. to hit me with a big question there. I think I was just going to start with the start, really. Just ask you how you, how you started playing, really. I, Can you go from the beginning? Yeah. Well, I look at what I'm doing these days, playing the violin and enjoying it mostly. And yeah. I think, how on earth did I get here? Right. When I think back to when I was a kid, and I remember saying to mum and dad, <clears throat> please, can I have a drum kit? I want to play the drums. That's really funny, yeah. And uh, they were like, where on earth would we put a drum kit in this house? There's already four pianos, a harpsichord, <laughs> electric organ, electric piano, yeah. um, a few trumpets, a few clarinets. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't anything... It, they, it wasn't uh, physically possible. Okay. So I ended up trying to play the drums a little bit at school, and they gave me a violin instead. So you started said, with drums. Well, it was an aspiration. Okay. I did. I did, I did start with violin, but my, I, I aspired more to the drums, and I, th- I think uh, the reason for that is that I've always been really excited by rhythm and rhythmic things, okay, and yeah. rhythmic um, relationships. When yeah. musicians get together, it's really the rhythms, yeah. and the overlapping and intertwining of rhythms that yeah. excite me, get me going. You know. When I hear great drummers play, I stop and stand in bewilderment and uh, still do to this day. Um, one of the first recordings I heard was uh, this wonderful group with a violin player in it, but also some drums called Shakti. Oh, yeah. John McLaughlin's yeah. band with the Indian guys and this guy El Shankar on yeah. <coughs> sitting in the lotus position playing ridiculous yeah. violin. But it was a tabla playing as much as anybody of Zakir Hussain. Mm. Um, that got me excited. Is Zaka so, Hussein is still alive? I believe so. I went to a masterclass he did at the Edinburgh Festival not that long ago. Yeah. 
Um, and then I saw Shakti's revival thing a few years ago in France. I think it's still going strong, yeah. Mm. Um, and that was the first cassette I can remember Dad giving me um, when I was about five. On one side it had a bit of Shakti and a bit of Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yeah. And on the other side it had Stefan Grappelli and Django Reinhardt Hot Club France. Right. And so he gave me this cassette and I played it over and over and over again. And uh, so <clears throat> when I look at the sort of diverse schedule I've got these days, one minute doing something with electric violin, the next minute doing sort of swing, yeah. 30s style, and then doing a bit of gypsy music as well. Mm -hmm. I think, well, I started off with a quite eclectic, yeah. um, you know, listening experiences. And um, so I've always been interested, got interested in various different things, not stuck to one particular thing. Right, yeah. But I started um, violin when I was five um, at school with a peripatetic teacher there called Joan Penrose. Um, but I started music years and years before that, I guess, fetally, you know, right, yeah. because mum and dad were both musicians. Mm -hmm. and so there was music going on all the time around me and my brothers. And dad played jazz piano, he was a jazz composer. Um, and mum went to the Royal Academy of Music, studied singing and piano. And um, so one minute in this house with all the instruments everywhere, there might be dad in one room transcribing some Duke Ellington <laughs> uh, off the record. And the other room, you'd turn and there'd be mum practicing some Marlowe or some, <laughs> you know, uh, sort of Finzi clarinet concerto or something. And so there was always, <clears throat> and those formative years, of course, you're not thinking about it. It's just all going in, isn't it? Yeah. It's like soaking it all up like a sponge. And, when I finally got to pick up the violin for the first time, it was the Suzuki method. Yeah. Did you Did you do that? No, I didn't. I uh, I uh, that um it, I I like the idea of it though. And the more yeah. I hear about it, the more I sort of wish I had done it because uh -huh. it does sound great. So right. What's it What's it about? Well, it's a, a very very a fun way for young kids to get interested in the instrument mm -hmm. because you have to build your violin. That's the first thing you have to do. To build oh really? It. Yeah. It, teacher sends you back and you to ask your mum and dad to help you build a violin find whatever you've got in the house and so mum emptied out a pack of cornflakes we got a box for the body yeah and um we found a ruler that made a good neck and then some sellotape yeah so that was the fiddle done wow and then for the bow um i think my teacher joan penrose has said what you need to do is get some string and a, a rubber hoop mm -hmm. like the ones used to have in sports halls yeah or rubber hoop it's quite quite heavy, mm -hmm. and you tie a piece of string to it, and mm -hmm. you hold the end of the string, and then you let it drop a, about a foot or two foot, mm -hmm. um, and then you sort of gently swing it like a pendulum, and that's right. your that was your bow, and you, ah. so you hold the, the your beautiful homemade violin in one hand, <laughs> and the bow, so no strings or anything like that, yeah. but it's just to get the feel of these um, yeah. two two things that you're going, soon going to be using for real, wow. just to get used to it. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> that was the beginning of the Suzuki method and I stayed with Joan um, until I was sort of 11 or 12 and then I started having some tuition from a wonderful guy up at uh, Hitchin called Bernard Blay okay. who um, uh, was a big inspiration to me and he was also a, he was a classical player actually Bernard but he, he loved jazz music so he was quite sympathetic to my okay. tendencies oh, cool. crossing over all the time between the two and then uh, I stayed with Bernard until I finished my grade 8, um, and which was, I was 15. And then I sort of took things off on my own. But going back to the early earlier time, uh, Dad would take us to gigs. Um, and so we, we would go and see him play with band, bands at places like Ronnie Scott's in the mid-70s and mm -hmm. be exposed to uh, all the excitement and, um, you know, atmosphere of a jazz club. Yeah. And, uh, the tender ages of three or four or five and mm -hmm. <clears throat> the next morning mum couldn't necessarily get a babysitter for us on a Saturday morning so she would take us down to her rehearsal which she was doing with the London Philharmonic Choir at the Festival Hall wow. and you'd be sitting there waiting for her finished rehearsal but while that while you were waiting she'd be rehearsing Messiaen's Francis of Assisi with a full choir and full LSLPO wow. you know in front of you and you were sort of so it was always mm activity and different events when I look back and I think I walked up to Oliver Messiaen when I was five with my <laughs> autograph book and just blithely said excuse me can I have your autograph 
Wow. And he gave me, I've got his autograph, <laughs> interrupted his rehearsal. Uh, and to the next night, I would be with uh, my brother Gabriel at Ronnie Scott's, listening to Dad's band, waiting for him to finish so we could go home and go to bed. But sitting next to us might be someone like Petula Clark or, right. you know, or Cleo Lane or somebody yeah. like this. So you sort of brushing shoulders with people, not really thinking twice about it. Yeah, sure. So all this was going in and in and in. And um, I uh, was given tunes to learn by Dad. He would say, right, today we're going to learn a couple of jazz standards and also his a little original tune I've written for you. And so he'd write these down and then he would accompany me and I'd learn them. So, for example, I would learn tunes like Lady Be Good and Honeysuckle Rose, Limehouse Blues, these sort of mainstream standard tunes that we all play yeah. and everyone loves to hear from the age of five. And and uh, on, alongside that, Joan Penrose on the classical side was giving me the sort of technical right. work. Yeah. And I was working through grades one, two, three, four, five with her at the same mm -hmm. time. Okay, yeah. And so I kind of look back and I think, I got the, um, the, the the strength to play via the traditional route uh -huh. and developing an okay technique. And on the other side of the the camp were was all this exotic exoticism of yeah. jazz and rock and yeah. fusion and Indian music and um, everything Mum was getting up to with the classical stuff. Well, did you did your mum play piano? She played piano as well as singing. Yeah, she she's, she's been teaching piano peripatetically for a long time and still does All right, to okay. this day. Yeah, and clarinet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you'd say that your dad was your first like jazz teacher. You think? Yeah. Um, There's no denying it. Your parents are they mould you. Yeah. Um, or they can mould you if they take. It depends how involved they are in what you're doing. But yeah, mum and dad were very very um, involved. It was a very, very um, fertile period for them as well. They yeah. were busy having a young family. Mm -hmm. um, I'm one of three brothers living together in the house with all these instruments with, yeah. with mum and dad. And so there was a real kind of um, arrow of time. Yeah. There was a real momentum. Right. And we were all soaked up and wound up in all that. <clears throat> While I was growing up, there was a new jazz club opened in, in my hometown, Berkhamsted, mm -hmm. um, which uh, dad was, was heavily in, involved with when a local jazz fan found that he was living around the corner from him right, and came yeah. around and said, I can't believe this, your Michael Garrick, I've got yeah. your LPs going back to the early 60s with uh, Joe Harriet and Sean right, Keane yeah. and um, uh, the likes. And we've got to do something. You live here, there's nothing jazz going on here, so let's start the jazz club. So that happened, mm -hmm. and that's still going strong, that, that Berkhamster Jazz Club. Mm -hmm. um, so we were, we were just all swept up in the wave of what was going on in Dad's career and right, Mum's yeah. career at the time. Yeah, and so I have to say he was a you know the the only influence really, or right. mum to a slightly lesser degree, of course, because I'm now um, forging a career much more on the jazz side, the improvising side. But yeah. her influence was no less critical. Yeah, sure. um, she brought us up on a diet of Indian curry and yeah. um, you know love and yeah. energy, yeah. which. Uh, still depend on to this day mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah you know indian curry is the diet of jazz musicians yeah in, in england anyway yeah <laughs> they're always open late <laughs> um so would you would you say that it was a positive thing having musical family uh certainly yeah, yeah. Uh, at the time i was very distracted like you uh, could easily be as a young kid by sport girls right yeah um you know drums yeah rock music um, but but on, by and large, Dad was you know however um, you know determined he was to get us to toe the line and you know practice enough so you could maybe one day follow in his footsteps and go into music. Mm -hmm. uh, he was he was pretty he was patient with us if we mm -hmm. were playing a bit truant and a bit naughty, you know, okay. which of course you do. You know, yeah, yeah. young kids growing up, and um, went off the rails a couple of times. And I remember stopping playing the violin for about a six month period when I was 11 because it really just it, it was really opposed to everything I wanted to do at that time and mum and dad were cool about it they didn't really say no you must continue you know so they let me pause and and I looking back I know that they knew I would go back yeah to it they were just waiting for the day you know yeah. I, I remember thinking one day I, 
I'll just see how this this feels. You know, it's about six months later. Yeah. Now I've had a little break from it, and I remember picking it up, thinking, I can actually still do this. It actually still feels all right. I haven't forgotten any of it. Yeah. I can still play. Um, and uh, then things accelerated a bit more, and I, I think I guess I started to enjoy it a little bit more. Okay. But still, I wasn't ever thinking I'm going to do this forever. Oh really? No, not at yeah. all. Until I went to the library at the age of 16. So this is after I finished my grade eight, and um, I was at that crossroads where you just finished school, and we, mm. you know, where, where are you going to go with your life 16. now? You, I just finished CSEs. Okay. It was the very last year of. CSEs before the GCSE came in. Okay. Um, also, I, I see things because because I grew up in Scotland, I always forget that it's yeah. just slightly different, slightly different Ages. way of doing it. Yeah. And I th- so you're at crossroads. Where, am I going to go to college? Am I going to go and get a job? What am I going to do? And I got a job at the local Waitrose stacking mm-hmm. shelves. Right. And at the same time, I went to the library out of curiosity to get some vinyl. Yeah. And I found something I'd never heard or come across to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy called Yasha Heifetz. Yeah. And uh, it's turned out to be um, it's quite a significant character yeah, in sure. the history of, of yeah. violin playing. Yeah, sure. This Russian guy, the most prolifically recorded, <coughs> recorded violinist there had been. Mm-hmm. And one of the most admired, perhaps the greatest ever. And yeah. I was like, "Oh my goodness! Yeah. How come? How come I've not come across him before?" Anyway, I got all the records I could see that said high fits on them. Yeah. <clears throat> and I uh, took them back, started listening, and the first one was this concerto by Alexander Glazunov. Yeah. And still to this day, one of my very favourite pieces. Not particularly popular piece, but it's through composed okay. concerto. It's wonderful, beautiful. Yeah. And this recording um, from 1938 or something okay. just hit me uh, like a ton of bricks. And it, I, I, I suddenly felt this huge uh, enthusiasm to try and emulate, right. if I could, this beautiful mm. um, way of playing music on the violin that I hadn't heard before. Yeah. Violin bef- before that to me was Stefan Grappelli. It was um, sitting in a youth orchestra right, playing yeah. first or second violin parts yeah. for hand organ symphonies. Yeah, um, that sort of thing. I hadn't really heard um, soloists. And nothing had struck me like that before. Right. Okay. Well, I had heard soloists because I met Nigel Kennedy when I was about ten. Right. And um, we jammed together. Um, Johnny Dankworth. He um, arranged and sort of sort of plotted to get Nigel and I to jam together, me the cool. young blonde sort of yeah. beginner, and uh, Nigel who had already finished his studies with Juilliard and had come back and got a record deal with EMI. How, how old would he be then then? So. Oh, he would have been uh, about 24, 25. Right. Okay. Um, he's about 15 years my senior. Right, yeah. Uh, and uh, we did this jam. I remember we played Crazy Rhythm together and we, yeah. we brought the house down. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway. I must have heard him play um, sort of his thing, classical violin, a few mm-hmm. times, but for some reason it was these Heifetz records that, that really struck me. And so it wasn't until I was 16 and I heard these Heifetz things that I thought, hang on a minute, I could um, get my head together finally and try to uh, sort of envisage yeah. some sort of musical career. Yeah. So the Waitrose job lasted five weeks Yeah. and I sort of deliberately got the sack. Yeah. Yeah, by um, what they asked, that's not really very interesting, but yeah. it's just all about wastage, terrible what goes on behind the scenes at supermarkets. <laughs> uh, so uh, I got uh, <clears throat> I got shown the door there and well, sort you of contested willingly the went. Mm-hmm. What? You contested the wastage? Yeah, they, they had a carton of orange juice, one had split, and so the other 24 had to be spoiled, had to be oh, chucked right. out because they, they all got a bit sticky on the outside. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I said, why don't we wash them and then put them back? Yeah. And I sort of started drinking it and st- stealing them. Oh, no, you can't be doing that. Um, you know, terrible wastage at Waitrose. Yeah. But it's my favourite supermarket now. Yeah. No, I mean, but only if I have to. If it's not grown <laughs> at home, I'll go there. Um, so that was uh, a turning point. Yeah. Meeting, as, as it were, high fits. And, uh, and then I undertook the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto with the local youth orchestra. Wow. And... Um, um, I started doing gigs and we met up with um, the Hearts, 
County Orchestra. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still very local to Berkhamsted. And uh, formed our first band, the first proper band playing jazz music with mm -hmm. um, now um, pianist down at Ronnie Scott's James Pearson. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the amazing bass player John Noyce, who uh, played with people like since with Jethro Tull and right. with um, Gary Moore and so on. Yeah. Um, and the guitarist called Alan Simpson, and we called it Nobody's Quartet. Right. It's all very sort of English, and nobody thought that they could Lead be it. the be the big leader. Yeah. And so we thought Nobody's Quartet. And um, then we sort of, I got down to the Academy of Music on the jazz course and uh, never really looked back. It was mm -hmm. it was meant to be from that point, but yeah. all that earlier time, yeah, um, uh, was uh, really sure. wasn't sure until I heard those high fits recordings. It's really funny because I think I imagine that's like really like the other way around to how a lot of people get into playing jazz because a lot of people, or even you know, they would probably be focused solely on classical music, and then. Mm. suddenly find a Grappelli record and go, oh man, oh. Well, I mean, this is how I did it anyway. Yeah. Well, that was Dad, you see, because of his jazz background. Yeah. And just to fill in a little uh, gap, maybe to explain why he was so determined, if possible, for us to f follow into music, it's because he was really stopped as a kid. He, oh, right. he came up in a, in a relatively straight-laced yeah. um, family environment where um, he went for piano lessons but strictly on the classical side, mm -hmm. and his, his mum played piano. Um, and uh, jazz, the whole idea of doing anything jazz-wise was um, really frowned upon. And yeah, he, sure. he really had to battle to do what he loved when he heard yeah. jazz. He thought, no, I really want to mm -hmm. do this. But he didn't really have the opportunity till he'd been through his national service and he'd come back and he'd got mm -hmm. a job at the Met Office mm -hmm. in his early 20s. And it wasn't until his mid-20s, really, that he started to get the opportunity to establish himself as a as a musician in his own right and forge a career mm -hmm. so he really struggled and he want, I think he wanted to uh, his beginnings were difficult mm -hmm. um, but he so I think he wanted to ha us to have the opposite experience yeah in a way he was uh, giving us the, yeah. the opportunity that he wished wished he'd had right yeah at such a young age I think. yeah and, and we sure got it yeah yeah <laughs> So uh, looking back, you know, this um, every we had every opportunity, and if I'd been in a different, maybe less um, uh, what, head in the clouds nature at the time, um, you know, wondering wondering too much about things, uh, maybe could have got going a bit sooner. But you know, no regrets. Tried lots of different um, things out, including working at the fairground, working at Waitrose. Yeah. Um, always loved cooking, actually, and I've always thought if. I wasn't in music. I might oh, really? be creative in the kitchen instead. Right. Yeah. 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 You say what? You you cook a lot. I cook every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What sort of stuff do you like cooking? Everything depends yeah. what I, what what I fancy eating. Right. Okay. Anything. My wife and I are always uh, cooking up a, an idea for the next dinner. What should we? We'll plan ahead a week. You know. Oh really? So, oh yeah. So if we're having friends over for next Sunday, I'll start making the, the stock for that sauce, you know, right. about four days ahead. So I'll go to the butcher and order my veal bones and right. um, what have you, and start right. planning. So is that like, you, you, you do a lot of cooking, that's like a hobby? Yeah, it's like planning for a gig. Yeah. I think about what I'm going to put in the set for a gig in a couple of weeks' time, you know, so I'm yeah. thinking about the ingredients that are going to go into yeah. a meal. A meal. Yeah. It's, an, it's an event in the same, in the same way, you know, yeah. as, as music. I think music and food have more in common than people think of on a day, day, right. day to day basis yeah. and I really really get sad when I see how much fast food and takeaway food and frozen food yeah. the world eats Absolutely, when yeah. there's fresh wonderful produce yeah. on the doorstep there's bay trees growing in bushes wild everywhere yeah. uh, to flavour your soups you know don't get me started yeah. chives, mint, you know rosemary, thyme yeah. growing wild everywhere just for starters. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do love a bit of cook, cooking. Maybe one day I'll start a school, which is a combined food, yeah. food and music school yeah. for people who, who want to get creative with music and food. Yeah, and yeah. Do a bit of both. Just mind you don't cut your fingers. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> it does go quite well, even just, like, time-wise, you know, because, like, a lot of people don't, probably don't have time to, like, 
do the you know I guess like you know do these like long long meals that take eight hours. But if you're a musician, sometimes you've got a whole day at home. Well, precisely. You can do your practice. Yeah. Make your stock. Let yeah. it boil or whatever. Yeah. I like to um, divide things up in fifteen minutes. All right. Going back to High Fitz. Um, excuse me. I got his uh, biography. I forget the guy's name who put it together, but I took a really interesting thing from it about practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this thing about practice, um, you know, uh, hours and hours and hours of practice that, that when you're young you tend to do. And you mm-hmm. and I did a bit of that, and I kind of did a bit of damage to my technique and ah. got a bit of a strain in my neck, you know, just right, yeah. going over things too, too hard all the time without when, when a, was this? a break. We're talking about, about that time, 16, 17 years. Right building up to doing this Mendelssohn performance. Yeah. And I was reading Heifetz's book, and there's this <clears throat> comment that he makes in there about practice. It's the same as music and everything, actually. Exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, it only works best if you uh, follow the three golden rules. Ooh, t- two sex. It just stopped. Don't stop. It started again. Has it? It just, it just freaked out a little bit. Looks like it started again. Back in business. I think so. I can hear it again. I don't know what I'll do about it. it cut out? It cut out. I think we were talking about um, the 15 minute, 15 minute. Yeah. Thing. Just so the, fi- the 15 minute chunks of time um, and the way Heifetz expressed this was to do with attack sustain and release mm-hmm. so like a phrase a bebop phrase okay attack sustain release but you do do that it's yeah. got a beginning a middle and an end yeah. and between between times there's breath there's space yeah. where there's time to listen mm-hmm. and the, the same thing applies to practice good practice is the same mm-hmm. so he he advised 15 minute chunk of playing mm-hmm. concentration and then when it gets to the end of the 15 minutes put the violin down, do something else for 15 minutes, relax. Wow. Yeah. And I tried doing that and it was just like a revelation. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No rush. Yeah. And you get twice as much, 10 times much more work right. done that way. Yeah. If you give yourself a t- chance to rest between each effort mm-hmm. rather than slamming up three, you must do three hours practice, right? No break, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of it, you kind of go, hmm. Well, I've done it, but it didn't feel that good. You know, I feel yeah. a bit of strain in my hand, and yeah. and um, I've still got to go over that, but it's not quite right. And so there's that thing of overworking something. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if you overwork the egg whites, you're going to the yeah. meringue is not going to work out. And yeah. So there is a fine balance, and I think time and rest, um, those combined with work, time, rest, and work. So that's attack, sustain, release. <clears throat> That recipe worked really well for me, and I, and I tell people that I'm teaching that mm-hmm. now. And <clears throat> if they're patient enough, they try it, and they say, "Yeah, that really works." Cool. But you know, of course, when you're young and you've got all the energy that you've got, and uh, sure, um, burning inside you, it's it's tough to be patient. I, yeah, I understand that. It's good that you got into that so young, anyway. Getting into that 16, 17. I think if I hadn't, you know, I I've got physical difficulties, as I think all violin players must. A little bit, a little mm-hmm. bit of tennis elbow, a little bit of a yeah. trapped nerve in my neck. Yeah. Um, but I've been lucky that I did discover that thing. It's helped me not to get further trouble, difficulty mm-hmm. to keep rest every every because it's a yeah a twisted yeah. one position, isn't it? Elbow totally. under. Especially, there's yeah. a lot of tension there. Yeah. So it's really important just to go yeah. floppy. Yeah. To help um, to sustain your career. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I might take that on board. <laughs> It's 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 because uh, it's, it's no effort to do it as yeah, well. It, it's, it's less effort, <clears throat> seems. Yeah, exactly. It's less effort. Um, so yeah, well, when you you always feel better when you come back to it, don't you? As well, like you you know, yes. if you, I went away yeah. for two weeks and came back, and it just instantly feels yeah. it feels weird. But you're like it, you know, everything feels great. Yeah, you know? and you feel refreshed in your mind as yeah. well, probably. Yeah, having gone and rested something for a bit. Yeah. So I imagine these little fifteen minute bursts. Sort of just little smaller versions of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. What else would you like to know or not know? Did you <laughs> try to think? You met Grappelli. Did you meet Grappelli? Yes. Yeah. And the, the, more, the more time goes on, 
the more sort of um, uh, you know pivotal that moment seems. Although actually, uh-huh. it was a tiny little moment at, at, at the time sure. it happened. It was 1976, and Dad took us along to a gig, and uh, Stefan was playing, mm-hmm. um, and we went into Dad just boldly as he would. Uh, he's quite a determined fellow. Took us up to his dressing room mm-hmm. and uh, knocked on the door. And Grappelli opened the door, went in, and we said, "He said, hello, how are you?" And I said, "Oh, my name's Christian." <laughs> <laughs> and my Dad was saying, "Yes, he's he's learning to play the violin and all all this." And and I'm thinking, "Am I? You know, what's going on?" Mm. And I had started then, but yeah, um, I think I understand the situation more now, the adult, than I did at the time. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got his autograph. And I remember him patting me on the head and wishing me good luck with everything. Yeah. But the the, the best thing about that night, I remember well, musically, was uh, the second half. He didn't come on with his violin. He came in and sat down at the piano. Yeah. And he played blistering jazz piano for He's about amazing. 20 minutes. He was amazing. Without any accompaniment. Yeah. And then, of course, now I know, having read and learned a bit more about him. Yeah. It, that was his love. His piano was yeah. his first instrument. Yeah. And violin, as he used to say on a regular basis piano is my love and violin is my gimmick yeah and it's laughable you know because of course his his reputation is as a violinist (laughs) but uh, his piano playing was just sublime and as far as I'm aware there's there's only one recording of him on piano or just solely piano it's called My Other Love Mm -hmm. and it came out at the end of the 80s I think on EMI yeah and you put that on and, and if you don't see the cover yeah. It could easily be Art Tatum or somebody like that, yeah. or Errol Garner. Yeah, it's just it's crazy, wonderful, it? wonderful. And John Etheridge, who I've done a lot of work with over the years, who used to work with Grappelli. Yeah, he always repeats a story about how Grappelli would have a bit of Art Tatum that he loved so much at recording. Mm-hmm. Art Tatum, he'd play it over and over and over again to himself, and he would never, never lose uh, interest in this one little section yeah. of piano playing. But listen to this baby, this amazing. Listen again, listen again. Yeah. So I think I think um, I don't know quite how he uh, would describe violin as his gimmick. Yeah. But he 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 was he was relatively ungracious about the violin as as a as a thing. He, he was more into music, Rapelli. Yeah. See, I think when he plays the violin, he's he, he's wonderful. Yeah. And we all know his violin playing, and you know the recorded history is there from. 1930s right up to the mid 90s when he died mm-hmm. incredible um, in fact I think he's the most recorded musician not High Fitz but anyway yeah um, I've heard that maybe I've heard his that his discography this is miles long yeah but uh, yeah piano he would he would always stop and get a much more sort of romantic and nostalgic about piano if it was mentioned yeah in fact I saw a funny video on someone posted up on, online the other day on a Parkinson's show, their second appearance with Menuhin, oh, and yeah. he's playing the electric piano with Menuhin. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's quite odd, but but nice yeah. piece he wrote for for Menuhin. Yeah. It was Menuhin was in awe of Grappelli. Yeah, absolutely in awe. It was amazing what he did, stepping out of his comfort zone, yeah. right over to Grappelli's pole, and um, you know, sort of frightening himself, silly, been j- playing in a jazz environment, but yeah. being game for it. Yeah. Talking about people playing classical mm-hmm. music, getting, getting into the jazz thing. Yeah, sure. But Just yeah, for it. but but so talking about Grappelli, there's never been a more effortless and more fluent um, player on on the violin. I don't think there's been a few who have who have sort of been similar. Yeah. But I think the reason uh, Grappelli is so important is because he never took himself too seriously. Yeah, sure. And uh, he would be open to playing with anyone as well. And yeah. Uh, but but he would maintain his own integrity as a, as a mm-hmm. as a soulful artist. I've got recordings of him playing with people like Gary Burton, yeah. with Paul Simon, Ravi Shankar, yeah. <clears throat> as well as the ones with Django Reinhardt, and there's mm-hmm. some wonderful stuff with George Shearing in the 50s, mm-hmm. the British piano player. And he's every single uh, example, he, he's still recognisable as Grappelli. Yeah, sure. He completely just loves playing music and yeah. sharing music with people. One the other day I saw I hadn't seen before with um, McCoy Tyner. Yeah. And the oh, wine, yeah, it's the, great. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. He's, so he's just one of these human beings which happen, he happens to play the violin and so on. But I think he was, he's just um, got the right attitude to, yeah. to things, music, life, people in general. Yeah. Which um, really appealed to me. And so I think um, whilst there are lots of other people who play jazz or played jazz on the violin, 
There's something about Grappelli's attitude and uh, the way he um, uh, he, he present, presented himself, yeah. which I think is a great example of how to be. Yeah. Not taking yourself too seriously. I think that, uh, largely that can that can be a hurdle which people put up for themselves, which actually limits their potential. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's quite hard. People do take themselves very seriously. Uh-huh. Another violin player that I heard young, which I always recommend people listen to, less well-known, but of course is Stuff Smith. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, using the heel yeah. much more than Grappelli, who you tended to play down the tip of the boat yeah. more. Um, Stuff Smith, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Um, other influences on the fiddle, as I mentioned, El Shankar earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and some early Jean-Luc Ponty I really liked. Oh yeah, where he's in his old Coltrane period, the, playing uh, without jazz long playing. Yeah, and playing without any vibrato, you know, yeah. and really kind of drying the whole sound out, playing yeah. very flat, sort of almost emotionless. But yeah. through doing it that way, making it, you know, sort of really emotional. Yeah, a beautiful recording of You've Changed in the mid '60s on that album Sunday Walk. I don't know that. A live album Sunday, Sunday Walk. Walk. It's amazing, yeah wasn't so um, uh, um, excited about some of his, Jean-Luc's electric stuff in the 70s, but, um, but cool. Um, and then Didier Lockwood a little bit, yeah. important figure. Yeah. He kind of took the baton from Jean-Luc, I think, and yeah. um, developed a very efficient, fast way of playing bop yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, other players... He just died. I really like Yeah, He died not that long ago. That really, suddenly, yeah. That was, was quite shocking. Shock. Uh-huh. Um, other players on the fiddle? Hmm. Well, there are lots of... No one else, but, well, obviously, Joe Venuti mm. and Eddie South, some of the, some of the other early guys are, are special for different reasons. Yeah. Joe Venuti is a good one for sort of bridging the gap from straight style playing to jazz style playing, some mm-hmm. of those things with Eddie Lang. Yeah. Um, a, a really nice way in for uh, classical students wanting to you know, cross the, the gap. Although I don't like to think of it as a gap so much, it's just a, um, an, a sort of um, imaginary gap. It's definitely, music is yeah. all, all music is music. It's um, yeah. breaking down barriers in your mind um, rather than there being a jazz camp and a classical camp yeah. or, or you know different yeah. camps. Yeah. <clears throat> it's about making a sound together. Sure. And so I think it's more about ensemble playing in the end. You know, let's not have the conductor, let's just all sit and listen. Yeah. Set up, set up a groove. And sometimes I go to the academy or the college in London here and we do workshops with yeah. string, the first year strings. And um, that's what we do, we set up a little groove and they're all rabbit in the headlights to begin with. But yeah. within five minutes they're all going, oh, hang on, no, this, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. There's only a couple of chords here, maybe just one chord. Yeah. We'll take a South African thing, maybe a, a dollar brand um, thing, township vibe right, yeah. thing, and set that up. <clears throat> and within five or ten minutes, most of the room is having a little go at improvising. Yeah. <clears throat> straight away. And then maybe introduce something a little bit, little bit more sophisticated mm-hmm. after that. So bit by bit, you know, these 18, 19, 20 year olds find that, yeah, it's uh, you know, really, really not that far removed from yeah. anything I already know. I can already got more than enough technique to. Um, because we're staying in first position by and large. Yeah. Not doing anything at the dusty end. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. Do you find people? So you you actually you find people generally well classical musicians can, after, you know, five minutes get into that way of thinking. Definitely. Uh, I'm always approached by people in recording sessions or at the colleges, um, and then professionally um, out on tour, um, who have figured out themselves that. You know, something that they might like to try, even if yeah. they've already had a 10, 20 year long career, so they might be in their 30s or 40s already. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> they want to go on a little voyage of discovery. Yeah. And then, yeah, just showing them how you can break up a, a scale into patterns, yeah. for example. Yeah. Something as simple as that. Yeah. Not just an arpeggio, but using a pentatonic or a tetratonic scale. Yeah. And then how you can use the violin, of course, expressively, which mm-hmm. something that. Um, Maybe we take for granted, but you can do all these incredible things with glissando, double yeah. stops, pizzicato, yeah. all these things which yeah. can't do so much on yeah. saxophones and trumpets, and they do their own effects. But mm-hmm. there's so many expressive um, aspects to string instruments, fretless yeah. instruments, yeah. 
and uh, that we can employ when we play jazz material mm -hmm. to make it. I mean, thinking of El Shankar's style of playing, yeah. for example, all that one finger stuff up yeah. there. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it really can be a, such an expressive instrument if you're sensible with it. I mm -hmm. think one of the big pitfalls and biggest crimes of a lot of people improvising in, in, on violin, viola, cello, is never ever taking the bow away from the damn strings. Mm -hmm. And it's really frustrating because, of course, uh, I think we don't have to take the horn out of our mouths, obviously. Mm -hmm. So you just don't have that barrier there. But the music can suffer as a result if you don't yeah. put those um, rests, like we were saying about practice earlier, about phrasing. Yeah. Um, so one of the first things I try and encourage people to do is to, for goodness sake, put some punctuation in your, mm -hmm. uh, with, between your ideas. Yeah. You know, have a little um, think about um, the listener. Give mm -hmm. them a chance to soak up what you're um, performing for them. Use bebop as a really, really good source mm -hmm. for that, that rule. All of Parker's tunes are broken up beautifully into um, yeah. attack, sustain, and release, or attack, tension, and release. Mm -hmm. Whereas, of course, the opposite end of the violin playing uh, world would be, say, Irish folk music, Celtic music. Great for that, you know, that's where that is, you know, the way it all. Um, threads together that's yeah. part of the fa fabric of that that world but if you do that in a jazz context there's no room for anything else to happen mm -hmm. yeah so um i'd say to some people students of mine if they ever um seem to be leaning towards that not taking the bow off the strings please have a listen to um miles davis yeah have a listen to um various whoever you yeah. care to mention and just listen to what they're doing with space. In fact, just yesterday, one of people I teach down at the uh, Guildhall transcribed um, some uh, miles playing Round Midnight. He's, mm -hmm. And he, he'd done a great transcription. And he said he was amazed how when he put the bow to the string to play what he transcribed, yeah. how in that moment, even though he'd been listening to it and transcribed it for hours, yeah. writing it down, when he actually started playing it, yeah. you couldn't believe how much space there was between yeah. each phrase. We, we have to remember how important it is to to use space yeah. as a device to to make our ideas more coherent. Yeah, yeah. That's um, really what I'm trying to get at and what I'm getting at there. And people like Parker and Miles and Herbie Hancock, <clears throat> all our favourite musicians, or certainly some of mine, they um, that's great source material for seeing what... I'm talking about there. Yeah. But of course on the violin side, again, Grappelli, mm -hmm. um, of course there's plenty of examples of him playing without very much space in his solos. Grappelli, <laughs> it yeah, sounds yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah. So I guess what I'm talking about more is a, a more contemporary style of playing. Yeah, sure. Um, but then of course I've just remembered um, his recording, Grappelli's recording with Gary Burton, Paris mm -hmm. Encounter. Yeah. And for example on their Blue and Green. Yeah. And he does use a bit of space, you know, yeah. so he kind of was, he was that sort of musician. He would just sort of adapt to different musical environments just yeah. so naturally. I but think he used An space. early version of Undecided with Django Reinhardt, it would be like... Which is wonderful, of course. Yeah. So, and, that, and it serves the purpose there. Because, of course, you've got endless... Yeah. Something that Kelly knows a little bit about is coming back into the room. Yeah. Runkle Yeah. Anyway, I'm, as I started off saying, involved in a variety of different things musically, which is what keeps me going. It's the variety, is the spice of music and yeah. life and the rest of it. Um, sing with Jackie Dankworth, Butterfly's Wing. Yeah. I do a duet with David Gordon, the pianist. Mm -hmm. We touch on all sorts of different musical yeah. um, subjects. Um, play a lot with the Budapest Cafe Orchestra still, yeah. just re releasing a ninth CD. Mm -hmm. And I love that because that's a real hybrid um, of all my musical tastes put together. Yeah. It's a little, you know, it's sort of essentially based around Balkan folk music and Russian folk music, wow, but yeah. we don't really exclusively want to do anything um, 
authentic without it. We'd okay, like yeah. to take elements of it. Yeah. So we're not trying to do transcriptions of yeah. our favourite recordings of Sandor Lakatos or yeah. of the um, Budapest, um, any of the Budapest orchestras. We're, we like a good melody, so we'll mm -hmm. take that and um, we happen to play a lot of the same instruments as you find there. Mm -hmm. um, double bass, accordion, violin and um, domra, saz, guitar, mm. dabuka, yeah. tambourine. But um, we'll find a good melody and do our own thing with it, use, using um, ideas from jazz, from film music, from yeah. um, other parts of the world. We'll play Gaelic folk music from Scotland. Yeah. We'll play um, a bit of John Barry. Mm -hmm. And we mix it all together and call it the Budapest Cafe Orchestra. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun, it's light-hearted, and, and by and large crowds really seem to enjoy the, the show. Yeah. Um, and again, we don't take it too seriously, you yeah. know, for goodness sake. We take the music seriously enough to play it well, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. No. So really enjoy that. Um, and there's jazz and improvisation at times during performances for Budapest Cafe Orchestra. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a plan to re record a wonderful piece that I was um, fortunate, fortunate enough to have written for me by John Dankworth, mm -hmm. a jazz violin concerto. Oh, wow. And uh, I combine that on a record with something that my dad, Michael Garrick, wrote many years ago for uh, again, Nigel Kennedy to play. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so this sort of jazz violin concerto thing, but this sort of small suite that he mm -hmm. wrote called At Home mm -hmm. for Nigel. And um, try and find some funding to um, record that with yeah. the orchestra. And, uh, oh, that'd be cool. Both pieces are orchestrated uh, with a, a, a jazz group at the centre, like a quartet, mm -hmm. piano, bass, drums mm -hmm. in the middle of it. So try and get that together soon. And then continue teaching at the Royal College, Royal Academy and the Guildhall in London mm -hmm. and a little bit of private on as well. Um, and um, uh, I just love participating in, in music. Um, jazz violin as a, as a sort of subject is not something I uh, tend to separate off from anything else. It's all part of one big picture for sure. me. In my mind, it's um, when I speak to uh, <clears throat> people learning jazz, jazz violin, how to improvise. I always encourage them to go and transcribe something, but not necessarily a violin player. Yeah, sure. Go and pick an improvisation by Keith Jarrett or by somebody that you've heard. Doesn't need necessarily to be violin. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and there's two main reasons that's useful. First of all, the language they're using on on their particular instrument: piano, guitar, drum, saxophone, trumpet. It's you know, going to be suited to that instrument. And so by applying it, putting it on, on the fingerboard, it's really going to stretch your technique totally. for, one, for one thing and your thinking. Yeah. It just broadens your, uh, you know, experience and in, will inform you even more about what yeah. um, you can incorporate, what works, what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so I think of it, it as music making <coughs> rather than the violin as a jazz instrument. Yeah. Um, and so... I'm not too bogged down with the jazz violin thing violin. So, yeah. so much, you yeah. know. Um, as I say, I always wanted to be a drummer, so yeah. um, I tend to play quite percussively on, yeah. if I get the chance. We have every three months or so, we do a Saturday night down at the 6.06 in right, yeah. London, and we really let our hair down. I mm -hmm. get the pedals out, I get yeah. the electric violin, and um, play some very loud sort of mm -hmm. headhunter stuff. We do yeah. actual proof Herbie Hancock yeah, yeah. thing. And then the next minute we might play a really nice, sumptuous, gentle ballad like Touch Your Soft Lips and Park yeah, yeah. and um, everything in between. And we really have a great time, a lot of originals and uh, do a lot of looping, yeah. ryth rhythmic stuff with looping, mm -hmm. with the electric fiddle and duetting with Tom Hooper, the drummer I've been working with for such yeah. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So you like, to, you like, you like rhythm? I do have a I soft have spot. That. I do have a soft spot for rhythm. I've and noticed I've, that in your in your playing when I've listened to you play. I've noticed that you've got you'll sort of throw the the accents around. Mm, I I just love the, what the Indians do with their yeah. tea highs. Yeah, I did a bit you know, of that actually. Yeah. Yeah. And all, all the all the stuff like from Shak Shakti onwards, and I got more interested in what the tabla players were doing. Yeah. Um, so studied that a little bit, and then we had, uh, fortunate enough at the academy, to have lots of wonderful people come and talk to us, um, arranged by the wonderful leader of the course, 
now departed Graham Collier mm-hmm. and uh, a chap from Banff in Canada who used to come over all the time wonderful wonderful musician and teacher Hugh Fraser mm-hmm. and between them they used to get in people um, to talk to us one of them was this Irish bass player called Ronan Guilfoyle mm-hmm. and he wrote Ronan uh, wrote this wonderful book which I bought all about um, odd meters yeah. and how you can apply uh, rhythmic ideas over regular time signatures sure. three and four yeah time. And he had his band with him uh and they performed for us mm-hmm. and it was just spellbinding how he'd um got his head around it yeah and i learned a lot from reading his book and then he uh, another day for example steve coleman would come in say f- mm-hmm. with his m bass group yeah it just seemed to be people that were at ronnie's that week mm-hmm. and hugh or graham or somebody would get in touch with them and say what are you doing today because obviously they're not on at Ronnie's until 10 at night yeah. and Dave Holland came in one day we had Jack DeJohnette come in mm. we had um, uh, Kenny Wheeler oh, yeah. um, we had Chucho, we had uh, Chucho Valdez mm-hmm. from Irakire. Yeah. Um, we had Arturo Sandoval mm-hmm. there again from Irakire. Um Gary Peacock came in another occasion yeah. my goodness he, he likes to talk about harmony yeah wow really yeah, yeah that was mind-numbingly harmonic that lecture so it was an incredible uh, fertile period for everybody down at the academy Um, yeah very exciting so rhythmic yeah a lot of uh, interesting things about rhythm which I really really got into big time on Mm -hmm. the academy jazz jazz course yeah 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 yeah. and started coming into my writing all the time Mm -hmm. although I would play um, hot club music Mm -hmm. more sort of I guess mainstream jazz violin stuff I did less and less of it while I was there. I got much more into yeah. um, odd times and mm-hmm. uh, odd meters and yeah. playing electric violin, um, looping, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. mucking around with those ideas. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you in, do you enjoy that more than the sort of older stuff, the hot club stuff, or you just is it? I think what I enjoy is having the uh, variety now. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I could do with a little bit more of the the uh, odd time wacky stuff right. than I do at the moment. Yeah. But um, I do enough of it, I just about, yeah. to keep things ticking yeah. over. Um, so in, in equal amounts, I think it's about having the mix. Yeah. If yeah. I did more of one than the other, then I'd get quickly bored of mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of that, you know, what, yeah. and miss the other thing, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. like we were saying earlier at the beginning about food, you know, sort of mix and match all the yeah. time. And yeah. It might be a sort of French thing or Italian thing, a Spanish thing, or, yeah. or Eastern or Thai yeah. vibe, Chinese. It, just as long as you get a... Little, you don't miss one thing for too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because once you've had the taste of something really good, you kind of remember it, don't you? And you yeah. sort of go, oh, actually, what about, oh, it's been a while, let's, let's do, um, you know, a seafood paella. We haven't had one of them yeah. for a couple of months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you go, oh, yeah, that is as good as I remember it. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, so on and so forth. The same with music. Yeah. You know, there's a chord. And you go, oh, what's that lovely voicing? You know, that sort of leading dominant thing with the root on top. Yeah, cool, I haven't heard that for a bit. Mm. It's just the fact the root's right up there on top rather than mm-hmm. underneath. Mm-hmm. You go, hmm, why have we overlooked that? Let's make sure we use that a little bit more often. Okay. You know? Yeah. So there's some more exotic things which don't necessarily register or get lodged in place Yeah. harmonically, rhythmically, um, melodically. Yeah. yeah. So it's really important to take stock of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why transcription is so important. I transcribe something every week still and oh, cool. and okay. sit down at the piano and work out what on earth is going on with the harmony which doesn't right. look like it is in the real book or it's so different from yeah, another yeah. recording yeah. and um, really take a lot of pride in doing that. So you'll transcribe time, songs or you'll transcribe solos everything. or just something, anything? Yeah, just something, right. yeah. anything, anything. If I find some material, whether it's um, something, some Beethoven or yeah. some Mahler or it could be something from Hungary. It could mm-hmm. be something from anywhere, really. Yeah. Some Gaelic folk music, um, a, a rare bebop recording, bootleg that mm-hmm. I haven't heard before that someone's yeah. just posted up on YouTube, of maybe a tune that I'm already familiar with. But there could be something about that certain performance which that uh, I hadn't heard before, mm-hmm. that hadn't occurred to me before. It, but it happened on that um, uh, that day, and someone happened to record it, and you go, "Shit, what's, what's going on there?" Yeah. So you get get the pen and paper and the piano and you go oh yeah that's what it is it's sort of like what I understood before but there's that voicing is just slightly different so it creates a slightly different tension in there yeah and it's focusing on those little nuances mm. which keeps you know 
life interesting. Yeah. Because it's, everything isn't the same. Everything's changing all the time. Everything's fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, although you think um, <clears throat> of, of life as being a bit episodic, a bit repetitious, yeah. actually, there are those little nuances and, you know, uh, relationships you have be- in, in every way between people, between instruments, between ingredients. Mm-hmm. It just never fails to fascinate me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah. It's great. Let's keep an open mind. Yeah. Uh, it's also probably a good place to stop. I think I can hear people. I thought you were going to ask me what strings I use or something like that. That'd be interesting. What strings like, do you use? That's not a very interesting question, Matthew. <laughs> not using Parastro, um, what's it, uh, either Parazzi gold anymore because they keep going wrong. I've, really? They're really expensive and the A string keeps unwinding itself. Like few, oh, really? Yeah. Well, how, how quickly? After a few days putting it on and I keep having to send them back get get refund or replacements yeah so I'm not quite sure have you got any recommendations I just I mean I literally I spent ages just using the the standard dominance because I was poor and then I recently went back to using obligatos and I think my yeah. violin needs obligatos because I like obligatos they're good it's sort of it, they're very thick sounding mm-hmm. and they're quite I don't know I, I do like them I, I do like them a lot so yeah that's my that's what I use. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to sort of stick to it. Try them again. I used to use the obligatos. The gold E is good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Although I found they break. Mm, they tend they to break. break for me. Yeah. And I, I've, I've stuck with the the gold label E. Oh right. Don't, don't know. Which are cheaper, but uh, they're less breakable. I find. Right. Have you used I'm hill? Like, hill I E's are pretty have, good. In yeah, fact, if in I'm the past, if yeah. I uh, if I'm going for it, I'll get obligatos with a hill E. Right, okay. <laughs> That's the ultimate setup. For me, anyway. Tell you what's been a revelation for me recently is this chorus bow hair. Right. comes what from France. Right. It's uh, synthetic bow okay. hair. And it's um, saved me £2,000 a year. Oh, really? Yeah, on bow rehairs. What is it? Don't tell anyone. Right. <laughs> no, tell everyone. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's been developed in France, I think, and the Chamber Orchestra of Toulouse, the string section exclusively use this chorus bow hair really and so i thought i was worth checking out checking gotta get out, some of yeah. this stuff and string is up in edinburgh which i use oh yeah no, string is all yeah. the time they sold me a f- no yeah they uh said yeah we've got some chorus here would you like to try some and uh and i said great they said it's um, it comes in any color what color would you like yeah and i said i think i'll just go for plain white please yeah oh really <laughs> so you can get it in any get it any in color any color you want crazy uh rainbow colors um, so I tried it and they sold it to me with some synthetic rosin and I tried and it wouldn't work the synthetic rosin I thought oh no what's anyway I, I didn't give up I put on normal rosin that mm-hmm. did go on fine yeah. normal traditional rosin yeah. and I've never looked back really? I haven't broken a single damn okay. hair on it right. uh, so I've got doesn't four break. of them it doesn't break it's unbreakable and not only that, that it doesn't wear it doesn't seem to wear out yeah I've been using the same one for about six months now yeah and you can clean oh, it alright I mean I use bow hair I, I keep bow hair for a long time alright oh, I don't know well you I shouldn't do I should all, I should get rehaired more regularly but I just don't well the opposite usually went for me when I get through the bow hair too quickly because right playing with um, some bands that I work with, getting the energy gets going so, so loud, you, you're attacking it so much that it starts breaking, of course, as we know, once it starts breaking, it's, it, all goes, it keeps yeah. going, keeps yeah. going forever. But so the synthetic bow hair for live work um, is absolute revelation. Right, Chorus I'm try it out. It's one of, of, of several different manufacturers. You have to find someone It's been good so far. You have to find someone who's happy to use it. I imagine there's a lot of Lucias who are Oh no, we don't use that stuff. We just use our stuff. Well, stringers are okay uh, doing it. Um, right. I wouldn't use it for recording sessions because the, you do get a little uh, extra edge to the sound, uh-huh. um, which is audible on right. the mic. Right. If especially if it's quite, uh, some quiet recording. Okay. So I, I keep a, you know, a sort of bona fide Pernambuco mm-hmm. nice horse head, horse head bow for those occasions. Right. Okay. For your Abbey Road things, you know, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> which are few and far between, but still happen. Yeah. And um, but uh, live work, I swear by it now. It's a revelation. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Got money saved and expenses. I've got to try that out. Um, was I going to say something? You made. I had. I had something to ask you, that came from the, the bow hair thing. 
came from the bar here. It's probably it's gone. It's gone. Should we leave it there? It's done. Yeah. Nice, nice one, man. Thank Pleasure. you very much. Good, good to see you. Yeah. You have been listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. I've been Matt Holborn and I've been chatting to Chris Garrick today. Um, please subscribe to us on iTunes or whichever way you find your podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere now. Um, yeah, we have some more guests lined up. Uh, nothing confirmed just yet, but some really, really cool ones in the pipeline. I'm really excited. Um, yeah, see you later. <laughs>